0: Hello, everyone. Stuart Gandalf here with another edition of our ShizMid podcast, this time for 2016. And on this session, I'm pleased to be speaking with two experts from the field. We have Tanya Andriatis, uh, who is – they're both with Penn Medicine. Tanya is the Associate Chief Marketing Officer of Digital Marketing and Analytics. Robin Ward will be joining her, also from Penn Medicine. She's Director of Customer Engagement and Analytics. Welcome, ladies.
1: Thank you for Hi. having us.
0: So I obviously, we don't have time to cover every single session in advance when we do these interviews, but I asked you, invited you guys to this session because I'm particularly in love with your topic, which is marketing automation, oh my, lessons from leading health systems. So the whole idea of marketing automation is something that a lot of industries do a lot with and are very adept at. Healthcare, as we were talking about offline, not so much generally. It's just beginning to make some headway into healthcare. So I think it's a very timely topic. Robin or Tanya, you guys can sort of chime in at well. How did you pick this topic? Why are you excited about it? Give us a little bit of insight about what you'll be covering.
1: I'll get started and then, then Robin can uh, chime in. This is Tanya. We were actually asked to talk about this because I think Penn Medicine is somewhat known for being one of the early adopters in the healthcare space of marketing automation technology. And so we have been using a system for quite a while and have, you know, gone through, I would say, the ebbs and flows of the learning process. And we're really at a point just maybe in the last couple of years where we feel like we've had some level of mastery and we haven't completely mastered it by any means. But we we started to really get to a point where we feel very comfortable with including marketing automation and email campaigns as a part of our sort of campaign formula. We're really excited about it because we know that an initial engagement is not enough. Often people will come and reach out. And and what we used to do is people would reach out to us on a web form or even with a phone call, and then we'd have that initial interaction with them and never interact with them again. And we know that that's not effective and, and it requires several touch points and often going back to people two and three times to establish a relationship and to get them to ultimately have some kind of transaction with us.
0: Uh, Robin, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Just to say that I think I'm, I'm pretty excited about the talk at Shishmed on Monday because in my role I'm able to pull together data like all the data analytics and the campaign process into one group that works together to solve these big problems. And, and Tonya is right, we were an early adopter, but still have so much more to learn and understand. And a lot of it, honestly, has to do with the data side. So marketing automation technology requires significant investment on the data side, both getting the right data in your hands, but also you know, building out the algorithms so that you can do those things that you want in the automation process. And uh, so I'm pretty excited to just talk about kind of what we've accomplished, but also more so about the things that we're trying to accomplish to see if others are also thinking that same way.
0: Now, you guys mentioned that you've been pioneering this in healthcare, and I believe we heard of you guys doing this, I think, from a previous SISMED session. What service lines were your priorities when you were first getting your arms around this? Did you focus on some specific service lines, or how did you how did you guys even get started?
1: I actually think I remember talking to you after a presentation I gave at That's
0: What I thought it was about reproductive medicine, right?
1: Yeah, our focus. That's... We had we initially started with IVF, which is so that's exactly right. And we learned a lot. IVF is our oldest nurturing campaign, mm-hmm. uh, probably the original, and it's maybe in like phase ten at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Okay. So we yeah. learned a ton through that process, and I think we also discussed bariatrics at some length, which was another service line. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really see it as a part of, like, almost every service line now, but yeah. initially it was very focused on those service lines that have a, a direct-to-consumer con- message. Yeah. Um, I think when we first started, it was those two, me, yeah. and then maybe we added two other service lines through that first fiscal year. This was, would have been maybe five years, four to five years ago at this point, uh, I just actually reviewed, I just sat down with our email automation coordinator today, actually, and I think we're we're looking at 30, she's building out 30 email campaigns just for this month. And they wow. touch all different service lines, both physician and consumers. Some are, are, you know, a little bit more simplistic, but others are really complex. But it's just a crazy how we went from, IVF bariatrics to that's now, it. Yeah. literally 30 in one month and, and not knowing how, like not knowing if we have enough resources to actually keep up with the need at this point.
0: So that's right, because that's what I thought. I remembered it being pen Medicine. I remember it being IVF. I forgot about the bariatric part, but that's what's intriguing to me is you guys have come that far because I remember when the session that you guys had presented the last time, you were still in the sort of, you had some good results, but you were still felt like you were experimenting. You guys have really ramped it up and one of the things about marketing automation, we were talking offline before this call. We've been doing marketing automation for our own company for years, and doing it for clients as well. Though it's hard because there's a lot of moving parts. There's, it's not as, right, doing an ad is easy, but to me, when you're doing, I call it real internet marketing, right? So if you're doing, you know, driving somebody to a, a web page for with pay per click is one thing on IVF, but some of these higher involvement, more contemplated purchases are much more difficult. And I'm assuming that's why you started with some of the higher-end uh, reimbursement cases, but also more contemplated cases like bariatrics and reproductive. Is that true?
1: Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And we know, um, you know, with with things like bariatrics and IVF, there's a more of a shopping mentality, and there's not necessarily a burning platform for someone to take action right away. So yeah. that reminders and prompting can be particularly effective. Yeah, continuing that relationship through email as one channel is so important. And honestly, I think we we all had to change even our way of thinking about communication with patients and consumers and physicians. You know, IVF and bariatrics have a very specific call to action. You know, sort of we know pretty quickly if they're going to do the thing they want to do. And we had to change our mindset a little bit to to say, well, maybe we go a little softer and we spend a little more time nurturing that relationship. So it, that's what's made it more complex over the years, but also there's a lot more opportunity to build relationships if you're not trying to get somebody in the door within the first, like, 10 days. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're sort of right. trying to build a relationship so that at any point when they need services, they, they know where to go and how to get there.
0: How competitive are, since we're talking about these two particular service lines, because they're kind of pun intended, poster children for, you know, a case for market automation where you have those high involvement, high reimbursement cases, do you find you get a lot of competition on the local basis for either of those, either from other hospitals or even private practice doctors?
1: Yeah, they're both very competitive in this market. I'm not sure how many others are doing the types of outreach we're doing, but as a service line, they're very competitive.
0: So my point there is is that I would expect that this would be a real competitive advantage for you because what we find now, because we work with a lot of hospitals and we work with a lot of doctors, and we, typically most people that work with our firm are looking for specific cases. They're not looking just for general cases, but they're looking to either build their service line through a hospital or a profitable surgery or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, what what's happened today that I don't think a lot of hospitals appreciate is a lot of the doctors are very sophisticated. <laughs> they do a lot of marketing and they they don't have the budget constraints, you know, they, they don't have to answer to a committee. If something's profitable, they can just do more of it. Whereas if you're in a hospital, you have to answer to other people. It's not always easy, even if you're getting a good ROI. So I'm not surprised with that. Do you guys feel like competitively this is giving you an edge because you can stay with somebody versus just say, you know, call me for an appointment?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that it's giving us an edge for sure. But to be clear, I think what we're doing now, you know, over the past year and then one of our priorities for this coming fiscal year is to evaluate how well we're doing that and how we can improve our, upon doing that. Yeah. You know, the more we learn about the best ways to communicate and what types of information people are looking for, the more we can grow our programs. So it does give us an advantage, but I think we need to keep up at the same time, you know yeah. what I mean, and, I think and continue when, building out our content. Just to support what Robin's saying, we were surprised by some of the learnings along the way, including we found that people who ended up doing some kind of business with us often had two or three touch points prior to engaging, like, or, or I should say prior to transacting. And often email was like that final step where after they did a couple other things, like a phone call or filling out a web form from some sort of campaign activity, then they would finally take a step. And then another finding we had is that People were actually who were responding to softer call to actions like download a guide or um you know get more information today or something that that didn't require a commitment for them to speak to someone or to to commit to scheduling an appointment right away or whatever that harder call to action would be the softer call to actions were driving actually profitable business. And that was Mm -hmm. not something that we hoped that would be the case, but that's not something we felt comfortable standing by when we said we really should do softer call to actions to get people in the door. You know, a lot of people would say, well, why do we even want to market to people who aren't ready to schedule an appointment? And I think we were able to disprove that sort of the psychology isn't always what people think it is, and sometimes they need multiple touch points before they're ready yeah honestly, I was definitely among one of those who thought you know the harder calls to action if they're if the patient's not ready then then why are we doing this initially going back five years ago, and so we all had to really learn, but thankfully, we do a lot of piloting and a lot of trial and error here, so we were able to do a lot of testing and and realize what you know what worked for us in our market.
0: That's really intriguing to me because I don't know what your environment is there at some hospitals. it's really easy for the marketing team to get done what they need to get done. In other hospitals, it's much more difficult. So I could see, did you guys have any internal things where you had to sell this idea internally? Because, you know, saying, wait, they're going to come, trust me, <laughs> seems like that might be hard to do.
1: Well, it was really hard, particularly with So with the way that we're broken up is we have a, the digital and analytics side of the shop, and then we also have a marketing strategy side of the shop that does a lot of the service line, and they, they manage the service line relationships. And those um, service line directors and managers would give us more pushback, honestly, than even like external clients. And like you know, we need a harder call to action. We need people to sign up and to register. And they would also be resistant to any kind of messaging or content in the emails that that was too soft or wasn't pushing or selling pen. It was an evolution for us to say, well, I personally think, and I know Robin shares this opinion, that there's a couple digital properties that are like gold, and that you have to nurture and be careful with those properties. And email and social are two of them, because that's a, someone's personal space, and you can abuse that. And if, if people are feeling that they're being oversold to, or you're trying to push them to take some action they're not ready to take, you will turn them off, and it will have the opposite effect. But if you nurture that relationship and you give people things that you think that they will find valuable, and sometimes that means pushing your brand and sometimes that means just giving them good content, then they'll feel a connection to you and that ultimately that will strengthen strengthen the relationship and bring profitable business. And I think we were able to prove that, which has been, like like you said, there was a lot of pushback, but now that we're able to prove that, there's this demand like we need more and more content. We have to write more emails. We need more people to write them. They have to be even more personalized, so we need yeah. more variations of email content. Yeah, to my point about the data, like more investment in big, you know, like data and the technology.
0: You know, we didn't even really jump into talking about marketing automation. Maybe we should we I think we jumped so far into this so quickly cuz we were oh, yeah. uh, well versed in this. Let's back up a step and and maybe give the listeners some of how marketing automation works and then we can even maybe talk a little bit once they understand that, what a sequence and how that works and how many there's you know, if-then kinds of statements that can get complex really fast. So can you guys give us maybe a little bit more of a, a big picture for those who aren't quite as familiar with marketing automation, what it means?
1: Robin has designed a lot of our decision trees, but um just from the the broad like what is marketing automation it's different than email marketing, I would say, in that you're able to trigger communications based on past behaviors. That's where the automation piece comes in. Like, Essentially what you're doing is automating segments, and those segments are based on something that you know about your client mm. or customer or something that they've done that would take them to a- another step. In or sort a combination of, their, of both. Or a combination yeah. of both, exactly. And what marketing automation tools, I think, allow you to do that's different than maybe say like, but there's, there's a lot of them out there, the constant contacts and that are, you know, you upload a list, you send an email that might not have like this enterprise level automation capability where you really can plan out campaigns based on someone visiting your website and filling out a form would get this email and somebody who called your contact center and asked a certain kind of question would go into another segment. Yeah. And being able to trigger those communications based on those actions and then a series of communications to follow based on every action they take next, I, I think that's kind of what separates a marketing automation tool from a yeah. just sending an email.
0: That was a really good description. And one of the things that, <laughs> as, as people get into this, and I'm sure you guys probably found too, is trying to anticipate every sort of scenario. Because especially for something highly emotional like IVF, you don't want to have a sequence where they finally responded and said yes, and now you're sending them emails like they haven't, right? So it can exactly. get exactly. Wait a minute, I this because it feels very personal, and if you email them the next day saying, Hey, have you thought about coming to us? Like, wait a minute, I just scheduled an appointment. It can kind of drive them nuts.
1: That's where that's where we're at now as an organization. It's really take to be able to take our content strategy to the next level in terms of what we're going to offer people along that like nurturing path we need to be able to integrate more data points. So our data integrations today kind of stop at a certain point and we can't we can no, can no longer communicate intelligently about like a person's status along the pathway. Once they've come in and had like certain procedures or they've they've gotten, you know, a certain amount of time. We know if they've come in and had an appointment. We know we don't know if they've scheduled, for example. So there's some gaps in the data to your point you want to be really sensitive to that. And I think that now that we've proven the value and everyone's on board, making that next investment in the additional data is going to be a big win for us. But the reason I bring that up is because I used to stress about that so much Mm -hmm. to the point of almost disabling me from thinking – more creatively because I was so worried about, well, but what if we, what if we, well, you know what, you you actually can be really thoughtful about the way you speak in your email so that you're not frustrating patients and giving alternative messaging so that there is something for the person who did schedule, but you might not say in that last email, you might not say schedule now. You might say, haven't haven't scheduled, scheduled." uh you know, if you haven't scheduled or if you need to know, you know, confirm your, your appointment, like you can give different you can use language to fill in the gaps that you have in your data set until you're at a point where you can build your data set out but, but we really like we handling. really lose our connection when it comes to a clinical encounter and you know if a care plan was given we right. don't have insight into that so we can't if we're trying to get you to come in for a knee replacement which is one of the one of the examples that we often use and you you come in and you see a doctor at Penn and it's determined that your course of care would be a medical management course of care and and that it was not recommended that you jump to surgery, we would have no insight into that. And not having that insight today means you might get an email from us that says, do you know about our joint surgeons? They're the best in the country or whatever it is, which would be you know inappropriate for someone who has already come in yeah. and consulted with a surgeon. So... We're trying to work very collaboratively. We have um, right now on the table a couple of things happening where we're going to pull in clinical teams, and the next level of this is like outlining what we're calling sort of communication pathways that are layered on top of a patient pathway or patient experience with any given service line so that the communication, whether it be email or it be some other format, is really connected to where that individual is in their experience with us.
0: Well, I have to hand it to you guys to not be paralyzed by this, because it would be easier, you were mentioning a moment ago, it would be really easy to be paralyzed and do nothing. (laughs) Because if you think about every possible bad outcome, it's like, well, let's just forget the whole thing, and then you leave the, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater.
1: We've done that. We've Um, done that before for sure, but that's just not our approach anymore.
0: You mentioned knee replacement. What are some of the other service lines where you're finding some success or you think are notable?
1: I was gonna say the health and wellness newsletter's been like very yeah. surprisingly successful. Yeah, health and wellness newsletter was actually implemented as a primary care nurturing campaign. So it started with just anyone who was looking for a primary care physician. We had a monthly Email that went out that had sort of nurturing things in there, some hot topics, stuff like that. And then we decided to play around with it a little bit, and I wouldn't say expand the content. I mean, we add a little, we add a little more to the content. So there's, a, I guess, there's maybe like four or five articles now instead of two or three, and uh, expand our um, opportunity for people to sign up or, or just like sign up for our newsletter, which you know, sounds like such a simple thing to do. Everyone's got a newsletter, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so hard to implement. Mm -hmm. And it just really, it started off, like I said, as a campaign nurturing email, and it turned into this really successful, I think we have like 40,000 subscribers now, um, which is pretty impressive for a healthcare system, for a Mm -hmm. hospital. So that's been really successful. And we don't, for that particular one, we don't stress too much about conversion to patients, but I'm sure we have... We are looking at that. What else has been successful? But, yeah, we haven't stressed about it, but it's happened, right? Yeah, it's happened. open rate. So our open rates for most of our emails are actually above the national average, but for health and wellness is significantly higher than the national average. We've also done a lot of things for, like, physician events and CME events. There's, you know, we started with, with email to get attendance for CME events, and it was so successful that now it's become, like, almost like a baseline requirement. And, you know, like, everyone's, like, freaking out. Like, when when is the email going to go? Because it, it increased the attendance. I, I don't remember what the stat was, mm-hmm. but there was, like, 10%, you know, the seats filled and the whole thing sold out. After we sent one email that was very targeted to specific groups. So, right now, we're really like heavy on a lot of the physician to physician communications and emails. Uh, Physician announcements are also shockingly very well received and people open and read them. The physician peers Mm want to know about new physicians joining Penn. Yeah, most of our email outreach is connected to, and I think Tanya said this a little bit ago. There's other tactics that go along with it. There's multiple touch points. So we've got some nurturing campaigns that go out for when people call into the contact center. We've got some nurturing campaigns for, like, appointment reminders or, you know, are you prepared for your upcoming appointment? We've done some really high-level stuff around promoting our patient portal. That's been really successful. So, uh, like, signing up for our patient portal, those things have all increased because of these efforts. Service lines... They're all I mean they're all doing pretty well, but like i said they're they're kind of tied in with other digital tactics, so it's it is a sure. little hard to pull out the email and say that like that specifically had a significant impact. No one's arguing that it's not part of the formula for success
0: you know it's funny too, because of the online stuff, email is such a powerful tool that you know most people don't even think about, it, and it's if they're not really doing the results marketing. And it should right. be so, so powerful. How are you driving subscriptions or opt-ins? Are you guys is it social media, SEO, pay per click, events, all those things?
1: <laughs> all all things. those things, yeah. All We're, those things. We even if a patient is here and gives us their email address, we ask them if they want to subscribe to the newsletter.
0: That's a, the that's a number 101 that nobody does.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we cross-sell from the newsletter. So there's, you know, if you call our contact center and then we opt you into the newsletter and then you get the newsletter, let's say, the, you know, at some point over the next few months, you'll get some cross-sell within that newsletter that will maybe be like our heart health Um, assessment, or an upcoming event, or the find a doctor, you know, different things that then tie into, you know, web forms and other ways to engage. We also write a lot of blogs. We have a a lot of great blog content, so we often send emails with teasers to the blog content, and and the blogs have Mm -hmm. been very productive in terms of conversion. Videos have been really successful. Yeah, videos as well.
0: So I, there's at least a certain percentage of our audience today that's squirming in their seats and says, "Yeah, but what about HIPAA? Help us understand how. How do we know we're HIPAA compliant, or what do you guys worry about, or is it an issue?"
1: It is an issue. It's, it's, it's a legitimate issue. issue. It's,
0: it's a significant issue. Yeah.
1: And we, so we
0: have had a lot of
1: conversation. I was going to say debate, but they're not really debate because they're they're more just like healthy conversation of what's appropriate. We've we've involved several folks. I mean, actually in in the renegotiation of our contract to sign a cloud services agreement for the products we use, we've had to like face some of these tough issues of like what kinds of things can you email and what kind of opt-in do you have to provide or extra levels of security do you have to provide there's different ways to go about it, but essentially if someone opts into a communication through a web property, a landing page, a website, or through a phone call, we are using that first email as a very general email. Obviously, they can unsubscribe in every email. We follow all the best pra- email best practices. And then we don't disclose anything in the email that is specific to their diagnosis or, you know, a doctor that they saw it's, it tends to be. I mean, it, it can be specific to their diagnosis, but we we don't claim to know that. It's mostly about the information that they've sought from us.
0: That's a good. That's a good distinction for sure. That's a I think, there, were, I think there
1: are some challenges. Like as we as we find more success with what we're doing today, there's more and more interest in being more proactive. So there's some things coming up. There's some requests or campaigns that that have come up in the past few months around appointment reminders and planning for your visit and visit guides and direction, like so many things and so many things that people want to do. And so there's a lot of discussion around like what should that verbiage be to make sure that the patient knows that you're going to send them something and it's not secure. It's not always the most secure Way, and so I think that we're we're being really thoughtful about it, but also understanding that you know if you mail a postcard that's an appointment reminder it's it's not terribly different than emailing them an appointment reminder as long as they've opted in or they've they're aware of what they're going to get when they give us their email. so it's really well, just communicating what our intentions are, and then again, back to the language, like you can do a lot of things with just the way you say things.
0: Just before we wrap up, I'd like to talk about challenges that you guys have faced, that you think other people will face. One of them occurs to me is just the complexity of it. It sounds like a lot of moving parts. But is that a challenge for you, or are there other challenges that you think that the audience, people <laughs> that haven't really done this are going to encounter?
1: It's a, it's a lot complexity of moving parts. Extraordinary, yeah. There's, I think what people take for granted, and, and you kind of spoke to this, Stuart, is the level of planning and forethought that's involved. We learned that pretty quickly. You know, everything you do, if you want, if you intend on communicating with someone in a way that's relevant to them and their experience, you have to set the stage for that. So it's even the questions on the form that you ask. What you know, in one of our forms, we have checkmark for are you looking for a second opinion, for example. If we have that kind of information, then we can go meaningfully back out to them and talk about what it means to get a second opinion at Penn. Mm -hmm. But without that information, we can't, that message is not as meaningful or relevant to the person. Then there's like, you know, all the different scenarios. Like, do you want to send men a different email with a picture of a man than women? Or the if-then that you refer to, if somebody does download a guide, what do you do next? Do you ask them, did they like the guide? Well, then, does that require survey development? Do you send them another thing? Yeah. Um, do you ask them to schedule an appointment? And then what if they do schedule an appointment? Do you then send them a thank you for scheduling an appointment and another piece of content? So it takes a lot of thought to think through, what's your strategy? What do you want to achieve at the end of this? Yeah. Um, you know, What's the journey that you want to take this individual or this audience segment on? Mm -hmm. That is complex. And Robin has done a great job because they have a core group of people, and I think I would advise this for anyone who who really wants to invest in marketing automation, that has developed an intake process. So anytime anybody in marketing or outside of the marketing organization wants to send an email, there's a series of questions that are asked, and then a core group gets together and reviews the request and talks through the implications. Mm -hmm. You know, have we sent to this audience already? Are we planning to send to this audience? Will this message have the desired effect, et cetera? Because the last thing we want to do is over email yep. people and turn them off. Yeah, that's actually the that's actually one of the first things I would I would advocate as well is to create your governance group, and it doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't have to be overly complex. It's just you, you know you're going to know as your as the CMO or as the you know the person who's in charge of that area. You know, who are those people in your group who are going to be the most in tune with the patient experience or the physician experience? And what we did, we, I think we have five people on this committee. I don't, we don't really call it a committee, but for lack of a better word. And it's been really successful. And we've only, really, we've only declined, so to speak, a handful of requests. But it's really been powerful to allow us to learn the process together and to know that you have support because there's, you know, there's a very technical person on the group. There's a content writer on the group. in the group, our, our email automation. Um, one of our analysts, our lead analysts is in the group. So it's just a really nice representation of all the different touch points, including data. You know, when we, when we hadn't done this, there were a lot of issues with requests that would come in, go right to the email coordinator, and everybody thought, this is great. Let's build this out, and then it would loop back around to my team to find out that we didn't have the data structure in place. Yeah, to they'd be do like, we want to email everybody who's scheduled an appointment in October for, yeah, you know, whatever. And then it would get go through this whole process. They'd write the emails, everything, and then we'd realize that,
0: we like in the process we don't have that segment <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like i'm like
1: we don't have that data or or vice versa we would yeah. create this great like data structure and we maybe build out new algorithms and then find out that there was no content available to do those things we wanted to do so we just pulled this group together and um it's been amazing and i think we we've made so much progress so so much so quickly that uh, it's allowed us to be really successful and prioritize the things we want to build out, um, not in a vacuum, but as a as a large group.
0: What a great topic. I've had such fun doing these interviews this year. I love marketing automation. I mentioned we've been doing it for our 17,000 subscribers for a number of years. One of the things that's funny, uh, I love that you guys are tracking stuff, and you're also concerned about not over-emailing your base, which is critical for the kinds of stuff you do. What's funny is, like, on our side, on the B2B side, I almost always have somebody new to our company come in and say, oh, my gosh, you're sending too many emails. You're bombarding your people. And then if you actually look and you look at the industry data, most people are undersending. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And
1: And your people don't really get that bothered by a lot of emails because they don't notice. It's like you have to send more. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. And it's it's exactly that. So it's so counterintuitive. And I have, you know, well-meaning interns come in here and tell me that, I, oh, you're sending too many emails. Really? <laughs> Based upon what data? And we yeah. find that for our unsubscribe rate is insane. Like our delivery rate is like 99.4% or something. And our unsubscribes are, you know, a couple on a 17,000 broadcast. People stay opted in for years. So it's funny because, and in fact, if you, there's some evidence if you look at other, you know, people that study this stuff and have time to do that that you can understand because then they become less engaged with your content. So that's the kind of stuff that both of you guys have analytics in your title, right? So I know you guys get this, but <laughs> yes. it's really it, it's really important to look at that data because the, um, the common wisdom is usually wrong, It's or at least often wrong, for sure.
1: I think a lot of people in healthcare can learn from what you're doing because you offer valuable content. You offer content that people are interested in, and that's why it's okay to keep sending mm-hmm. emails because – it's probably like a helpful reminder more than yeah. it is an, an annoyance because they value the product.
0: Absolutely. And it's fun doing this. I mean, for us, we started doing, um, you know, content marketing. like We did that before there was a word for it, right? <laughs> hey. Because that's always been our positioning when we started the company. We've been, you know, speakers and writers forever before I started the company. So it was a natural extension. You guys mentioned the blog. So we did that for SEO. We did that for the – and plus in healthcare, if you're working with doctors and hospitals, credentials ha- helps a lot, right? It's important. But in, and today, now, though, it's just fun for me. Like, this interview has been totally fun for me. So it's hey. not just from the business standpoint, but it's fun meeting other smart people and seeing what you guys are doing. So good job, you guys. I'm looking forward to seeing the session. Robin, you're going to be there. Tanya, you are going to be. Are you going to be at Chismet? Or who's leading the session? What's happening in terms of on the ground in Chicago?
1: That'll be me, Robin. Um, Tanya will not be with us. I'll be there with uh, a few other folks from Penn, and I'll be on that session, on that panel.
0: What time and where?
1: It's on Monday and I believe it's around I think it's a 9.
0: We'll put the time on the uh, blog portion of this. You guys did great. Thanks everybody for listening.